Got to, you know, make the necessary adjustments here to get started. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, it's a beautiful day today. Amen. Last week, I know I was uh, trying to do the expedited sermon because it was, I think, 98 degrees or something like that. Today, we're at, I don't know, what is this, like 75 or something? That means I can go an hour and a half, I think. Uh, right? Isn't that? It's getting warm, says Don. Okay, you know. And I have to trust Don because he's got a pink shirt on, which is fantastic. Um, great to see the, the pink is spreading. I see Diego's got pink shorts also, so, you know, we're... We're making it work over here. Um, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll get there in a second. We're going to continue our series, uh, our 100 days to a new life. It's transformed 100 days to a new life. This is day 64. 64, we have about five weeks left. Um, today, we are going to be finishing up the study that we've been doing in Romans chapter 8. And we'll be in uh, verse 28 in a minute. And we'll go down through the end there in verse 39. So we've been talking all summer about the two ingredients that are required for spiritual transformation, one of which comes from God and the other of which comes from us. And the ingredient which comes from God is, do you guys remember? The, the Holy Spirit. So Sissy, I mean, Sissy's paying attention. So, I mean, that's, come on. And then the one that comes from us is, people remember, shenard has got it. Come on, Shenard. The heart, amen, okay, all right, so we got the heart that we supply, and then the Holy Spirit that God supplies, and um, that those ingredients together really result, if our heart is right, and we ask for God's Spirit to help, and of course, God is willing to send us His Spirit, and His Spirit will help our hearts to change. We are transformed, so that's what we're trying to do this summer, to really see God change our hearts. We talked last week about how uh, kind of the, the turn that, that Paul makes in Romans chapter 8. At the beginning, he's talking about really how the Holy Spirit is with us and enabling us to live this new life. And then in verse 18 that we looked at last week, he addresses this issue of trials and how it's, you know, it's nice to kind of, the, there's the nice idea of this life that we can have, and yet we face trials. And how do we keep our convictions and keep our focus on him, on God, through our trials? And so uh, we talked about that a little bit last week, a few keys that that Paul provides, really spending time in God's creation to be reminded of the plan that God has for the world. Talked about really focusing on patient hope, that our, our, you know, our, our, our uh, focus has to be on, on staying patient and keeping our hope in God in the midst of difficulties. And then, and then lastly, and relying on the Holy Spirit to help us uh, in our weaknesses, admitting where we are weak and really asking for God to help us. I encouraged us last week, and I gave you a warning, so I'm, I don't feel bad about doing this, but I gave you a warning last week. I said, I'm, next week, I'm going to ask you, how did it go spending time in God's creation? And so now it's next week. Amazing how that happens. And so I would ask you, if, uh, if you did spend some time in God's creation this week as a way to you know, be reminded of his plan for the world, uh, what did you do? And, uh, you know, where did you go or what did you do? So, I, you know, is there uh, some volunteers? We can, we can do a little audience participation if you have some volunteers. Yeah, Sean, I see you in the back. Go ahead. Nice and loud for us. Yes.
Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. That's great. Awesome. That's fantastic. Anyone else? Angie, did you have your hand up? Is that a no? Okay, never mind. Anyone else have one? Yes, Alejandra. You're like, God, that's you. Amen. That's fantastic. We got hummingbirds. We got rainbows. Who can, I mean, it's hard to beat that. No bears, I hope, you know, but uh, anyone else have something they'd like to share? Yeah, Martin, go ahead. That's great. I mean, and this is this is kind of the key that they were talking about. Did you want to share? Yeah. Go ahead. Not everybody gets to the moment, so they might want to maybe just go yeah. to the end of the end of the day or whatever. I always go to the moment. Yeah. And, you know, it's nice to be by the moment and say, hey, yeah. if you can't get to the moment, go to the group and help you with that. Amen. And it's amazing. Yeah. And it's not just about That's right. That's right. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that. It is true. Okay, go ahead. All right, we'll let Phil, the last one. Yeah, I mean, this is, and this is one of the ways that I think it's interesting. When Paul talks about this, the concept of suffering, right? He talks about dealing with trials. The first thing that he points to is God's creation. And I do think it is so important. We live in a time where we are so separated from being immersed in God's creation. It's so easy to get absorbed into, really, the virtual world, right? Which, is, which honestly, so often does not point us to God, right? I mean, come on, you guys can... We can be real about this, right? So often it points us to our own inadequacies, our own feelings of jealousy, or our, our you know, trying to impress people, or whatever it is. And, and it's so important to take the time to get away to be with God, to be reminded of what he's doing. Okay.
So now that was last week. Let's go to this week. Uh, we're going to finish Romans chapter 8. And uh, here's the key point, the title for the sermon today. A transformed heart expects victory. A transformed heart expects victory. So much of life comes down to our expectations. You see this in athletic performance. When you go to a, a tennis match or a lacrosse match or you know, a baseball game, if you can just convince yourself that you are going to win, your odds of winning go up dramatically. It's true in, in almost everything that we do. You know, I saw this a couple of weeks ago playing golf. Roland and, and Scott Muscat and I, where was Scott? He was here a second ago. There he is in the back. We went in and, uh, and played at the par three course uh, in Rockland Lake uh, a few weeks ago. And um, I was talking with Scott actually about this because Scott's a coach. And so he knows all about this. And I was asking him, so, you know, you, get, you hit a bad shot and you feel like, oh, I'm such an idiot, you know, and you just, why am I even out here? And, what, you know, just, anyway, you, you feel those things. And then, uh, and so he was like, oh, you know, we got to okay, think positive and tell yourself good things and all this stuff. And so one of the following holes, I was like, all right, here we go. I had a really, you know, I was in a bad, but I was, a, I had a really long putt and a bad spot and everything. And I was like, okay, here we go. And I just said, it's like, I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this. I'm going to make, like, I said it like 10 times. Sure enough, putted it right in. And I was like, it works. It's amazing. <laughs> I was like, Scott, you're a genius, you know, it's, but I mean, research supports this, right? Actually, research, they've done studies of how this works, and actually this kind of thinking actually does help your performance. And it's not just true in athletics, it's true in your career, it's true in, in every area of your life. You know, I um, shared last week about uh, the rough morning that I had with trying to get our kids out the door, and, and it was a difficult situation because I was preaching that morning and, and then just felt like I just totally messed up in my parenting and lost my patience and all this and came into church just feeling like a, you know, like a mess, which, amen, when you're feeling like a mess, church is a good place to be. Um, it's hard when you're preaching that day also, but, you know, you just got to be real, right? Like, it just is what it is. Okay, so, um, but I was really grateful that night. I had some time uh, scheduled with, uh, with Irby, and he and I were just going to get together and just catch up, and so, you know, we just got together and we just talked through it, you know, and we just kind of had some time and was vulnerable and sharing about things. And he was, you know, talking about ways that he could relate. And he didn't say anything, you know, groundbreaking that was like, oh, here's this insight that I've just never understood before and this deep wisdom and everything. Although, honestly, especially about parenting stuff, he actually has a, a bunch of stuff that he knows and, and the research that he uh, uh, knows about is also really helpful. But honestly, it was just the, the, that time together helped me to reframe my thinking about my relationship with my kids. To go from feeling defeated and feeling like I just, I just constantly, you know, I'm just a failure and I'm messing up and, it's so, and, and focusing on the ways that I was just, you know, failing into thinking about, okay, I can do this, right? With God's help, I can be the father that God calls me to be. And honestly, that alone, that change alone, I think, helped so much this week. And uh, we had, you know, I think this week was difficult, but we had a lot of victories, which was great. Um, and, uh, and so I think that this, this change of expecting victory, expecting victory in our walks with God is a, is a big part of, of really being transformed spiritually.
This is what Paul is trying to get his readers to, or his, his hearers to really embrace at the end of Romans chapter 8. You know, he gives not just, he kind of just doesn't just tell them to embrace this expectation of victory, but he also gives them reasons, right? He says, look, the actual, the spiritual realities that we are experiencing give us re good reasons to expect victory in our lives as followers of Jesus. So let's pick up Romans 8, verse 28. We're going to look at two big reasons that Paul gives for why we should expect victory in our lives, and then we'll close out there. Does that sound good? You guys with me? Expecting victory, two reasons. Okay, verse 28. He starts with and, and he's talking about how we should be encouraged because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So he says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Paul is saying that, you know, we think of how great it is that God's plan resulted, us, resulted in us being called out of our lives, out of the darkness, into his light. But Paul is saying that God's plan doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just stop with calling you into a relationship with him. God's plan goes all the way from knowing that we would choose him to calling us out of our sin, to making us right with him, to transforming us to be like Jesus, and then ultimately glorifying us with Jesus. His plan goes all the way through. God doesn't leave us short. No matter where we're at, Paul is saying God is not done with you. His plan carries through your life all the way to glory. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Amen to that. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We'll stop there. A transformed heart expects victory. First reason is because we have received unlimited grace. We can expect victory in our lives because we have received unlimited grace from God. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, the God of the universe is in our corner. And how do we know that he's going to be fair to us or do right by us or prioritize our well-being? Because Paul says if he was willing to give up his son, we can be certain that he's going to give us everything else as well. It's, it harkens back to what Paul said a few chapters earlier in Romans 5 verse 8, where he says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says it's a, the sacrifice of Jesus is a demonstration of God's love. It shows us the extent to which God is willing to go in order for you to be well with him. You know, it can counter this, this reality, I think, counters the suspicions that we can have about God when we face trials. 
right? And if we're honest, we can have these suspicions. If God really loved me, wouldn't things be different in my life? If God really loved me, wouldn't he have solved this problem already? But Paul says, of course God loves you, you know, because he has already, he's demonstrated, he's proved it by giving up the thing that he loved the most to have a relationship with you. It's as if God had volunteered to drive with us across the country. He spent weeks in our car taking care of every aspect of our trip. And now we're just a few minutes from our house and we're unsure if God's going to leave us at the side of the road. He said, he's already gone. Look at what he's already done. He's gone weeks with you and miles and miles and miles. And yet you just have a little bit left. And now you're unsure? Look at what God has done. He's already done the difficult thing. Of course, he will work out the details. But that means that if, if this is true, I think it means that, that a transformed heart can really expect victory. It means we can expect victory because God isn't holding out on us. If we know that God is giving us his best, then we know that we have everything we need. We have unlimited grace in our lives. And because of that, it means that even our failures can't stand in our way. And we'll just keep reading in verse 33. Or, sorry, uh, repeat here what we just read a second ago, verse 33. He says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You know, what can happen is that we start with this, with this heart that's, you know, trusting in God and expecting victory in our lives. And we say, okay, God, you know, you can, you can do this. I, I know that I have issues, but, but you can help me to be the person that I need to be. But then we get knocked off course. We make a mistake. We fall on our face. We, we get into sin. Something happens. And this happens in your life. And you know that you can feel it, right? You just feel like, ah, oh, here we go. But what happens is you get knocked off course and you get into a, spi a spiral of negativity. And I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but this is certainly what I see. And we start thinking negative things and then because we're thinking negatively, we actually get focused on our, on our failures and then we actually do worse. And then we just get more focused on our failures and we do even worse. And we get this cycle that just ends in spiritual failure. And you know, honestly, if we're thinking through the world's eyes, that way of thinking might make sense. You are defined often in the world's eyes by your worst actions. But Paul says that Christians are in a different situation. Yes, we might deserve rebuke or condemnation because of our failures. But Paul says that God himself says that we are right with him. God himself, the God of the universe, says you're okay. So who is anybody else to say anything different? Who are we even to say anything different if God says you are justified? Who are you to say that your failures are too much for him? Jesus himself, Paul says, is standing at God's right hand, interceding on our behalf so that we can reject negativity and defeatism and say, look, I messed up, but God still calls me perfect and righteous in his eyes. I love this verse in Colossians 1, in verse 22. Paul says that, you know, we were once alienated from God, that we were enemies uh, in our minds because of our evil behavior. But he says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you 
holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are holy in God's sight. We are just as holy in God's eyes as Jesus is. That's the whole point of Jesus' sacrifice, that we can adopt his holiness in God's eyes. We have unlimited grace. That means that we can approach our lives with a heart that expects victory because we know that God has the power and that he has the desire to give us his very best. But, you know, I would say, to kind of close this point here, the consequence of this, and here's the, the kind of the challenge that comes with it. The consequence is that if God is giving us his best, the only way that a relationship with him will work is that if we also give him our best. Because, you know, one of the things that can happen is if we know that God is pouring his heart into a relationship with us, giving us his very best, if we're half-hearted, then ultimately we, we will become, we will feel contempt and, and um, I would say being in relationship with God will just remind us of the half-hearted nature of our commitment. Because we see his, his wholeheartedness on his side, and it just reminds us of that we're not really doing what he would like on our side. We feel like deep down in our hearts, we know that we're not treating God fairly, and we come to resent his unlimited sacrifice for us because it reminds us of how we are falling short. And this, I think that this is a key to part of this cycle of negativity. Because we become half-hearted, then we hide from God. Because being around him just reminds us of, of our failures. And part of this kind of, this, this remembering that, that God has given us unlimited grace, it means that we're free to really give him unlimited devotion on our side, right? So God has given us this unlimited grace, but it, the, the only kind of way to be in real relationship with that is for us to give him unlimited devotion, to give God our hearts, to give him the first fruits of our time and our money and our obedience and our love. A transformed heart expects victory. So no matter where we're at today, we can get back to that attitude. No matter how, you know, where on the, the cycle of negativity you might be, if we're focused on God's unlimited grace, then we can respond to him with unlimited devotion. Amen? Okay. Second point. We're going to keep reading. Verse 35, Romans 8. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is really a, a beautiful passage. It's probably one of, one of the, you know, one that you're familiar with and maybe have memorized. It's really, you know, it's one that you get, you see like written on the wall in people's houses or on the walls of churches and things like that. And it is, I mean, it's an incredible passage. And but, but this is the point that Paul is making. I think it's, it's encouraging to us because what Paul is saying is that no matter what we're going through, no matter the circumstances that we're in, that a transformed heart can expect victory, that we can expect to be victorious in spite of our circumstances because of what God has done for us. 
But the second point that I would make about why we can expect victory, what Paul says is that we can expect victory because Christ loves us with an unstoppable love. That he's given us, as I said first, unlimited grace, but he also loves us with an unstoppable love. Paul says that we can have incredible confidence in God's unlimited grace because Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us. But he almost kind of like is uh, anticipating the question, well, but what if the circumstances of our lives derail Christ's love for us? What if we fall short so much that Jesus says, well, forget it. I'm done trying to intercede. We'll just give up on you. Can what we go through in life, can trouble or hardship or persecution or danger or sword cause Christ to stop loving and advocating for us? Paul says no. In all these things, he says we are more than conquerors. The, the Greek word is literally, he says he, we're super conquerors. He says you're not, you're not just winning, you're wiping the floor with these issues through Jesus who loved us. Nothing can possibly get in the way of Christ's love for us. And then he's, I just, I'm going to read it again because I love how he sums it up in the end here in verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the church said, Amen. A transformed heart expects victory because Christ loves us with an unstoppable love. The challenge here is that I think we can sometimes feel defeated because we aren't defining victory correctly. We want God to say in this passage, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the American dream. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from a conflict-free marriage. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from a good relationship with our kids. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from deep friendships that value us properly. But that's not what he says. It's not the promise that God makes. He says nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the goal of spiritual transformation, and we've got to be reminded of this, is not to have a great life. The goal of being transformed is to be united with Christ in his love. As we grow closer to God, many things about our lives will change, right? Our lives probably will get better, but maybe not. We don't really know. We aren't in control of that. If we're focused on the right thing, on being united with Christ, in being connected with his love and growing deeper and closer and, and more reliant on him and more like him every day, then we can trust that no matter what happens, no matter how people respond or don't respond or whatever goes on in our lives, we can still have victory in him. You know, I was thinking about this this week in my relationship with my kids. And you know, I'm talking about it because it was on my heart. You know, I, 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 we're getting to a place and, you know, as our kids are getting older, where there's things that we can't control anymore, right? Like, as parents, one of the challenges, it's like when they're little, you can just kind of just, you know, it's pretty easy. They're all just like in a little box. And you can just do it all. And it's like, if they don't like it tough, I don't know. You know, you're in, 
You know, you're stuck in your little pack and play or whatever it is. Like, I don't know. As they get to be, you know, more towards like the preteen age, that doesn't, it doesn't, like, I can't have the same level of control over their lives. And it's not appropriate for me to have. At some point, they're going to be living off on their own. So this, they need to transition to making more of these decisions for themselves. But I, there's a piece of me that still wants to be able to control all of that. And the thing that I've had to really wrestle with is that I can't choose, like I can choose how I am with my relationship with my kids. I can't choose how they respond to that. I can't choose whether they obey or disobey. That's their choice, right? I can't choose if they're respectful, if they're not respectful. That's their choice. I can't choose the, the way that they respond. I can choose whether I am like Jesus in that relationship. And it's true at work too. I can't choose how my boss treats me, but I can choose if I'm like Jesus towards him. I can't choose how my wife treats me. I can choose to be like Jesus towards her. It's my choice to be like Christ, to focus not on the outcomes, but focusing on being united with Christ's love. That's the command. Because we know that Christ's love is unstoppable. That's the area where we can have a victory. And this is what Paul is saying. We can be more than conquerors in all of these areas of our lives. We can expect victory. We can expect to be like Christ. We can set our expectations high because we don't have to control the outcome. All we can control is who we are, that we're like Christ, that we're connected with his love, that we're closer to him, that we're more like him. And we let him do with it what he wants. We have been called to victorious lives in Christ, lives marked by growth that every day looks more and more like him. And if we want to experience that growth, we have to adopt the mindset that Paul commends to the church here, to get rid of the cycles of defeatism, of negativity, and to remember that a transformed heart expects victory, that we expect to look more like Christ, that we expect to, to really reflect Christ in every area of our lives. No matter our backgrounds, no matter our weaknesses, no matter our mistakes, we know that God has given us unlimited grace that will conquer all of that. But that it also requires unlimited devotion. And that we can also rely on Christ's unstoppable love that will guarantee us the victory of being united with him. There are 36 days left in our summer of transformation. Just five more weeks. And I would just ask, that during this time, that we make the most of it, that we really focus on expecting victory in our lives, that we don't give way to, to uh, a standard that is lower than the standard of Christ's love, but that we really set our expectation that we can be who God calls us to be through the help of his spirit, through the, the, the scriptures that he's given us, through the encouragement of the church, through all the ways that God has given us uh, just his love in our lives that we can be true disciples and people who honor him. Embrace an attitude that expects victory and watch what God does to change your life. Amen.